pressure is mounting on the team, just as Phil Neville and Gonzalo Higuain. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Miami Total Football Radio, a.k.a., as you may know it, Miami Total Football Radio, the number one and most listened to podcast on Inter Miami, touching on all things regarding the team. We provide you with all the latest news, updates, inside information, analysis, analysis, opinions, and more. I've struggled saying analysis during the last two weeks. Not sure why. But anyway, my name is Franco Panizo. I am one-third of your hosting team, although that one-third is one-half this week. Steve El Primo Brenner is in Barbados, I believe, and he is enjoying a cricket match, I think, with his family over the course of a few days. So he is not in the house for this week's episode, but the other co-host that is in the house is Jose Cinco Armando, also known affectionately by me as Island Jose. Jose, how are you doing on this fine Wednesday morning? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Franco, even though, you know, um, we had a little bit of everything over the weekend in the Inter-Miami in terms of weather, in terms of uh, um, football or soccer. But I'm good. I'm doing good. I'm, it's a it's a happy day here in in my household. But I, I'm happy to talk uh, soccer with you. How is your football manager going? Because I know you've played a decent bit or a decent amount since we last. Recorded. Well, um, don't, don't I, tell me I'm you haven't. Pre- don't tell me you haven't because I know you've played. <laughs> no, I'm I'm still in preseason. I'm still in preseason, trying to figure things Bro, out. How are um, you still in preseason? How are you still? Well, how many games did you schedule? Like thirty. <laughs> No, I had like six or seven games. I, I just want to be ready. I, I want to be ready for the start of a, a, of the regular season, and and I'm still going through some of the MLS rules when it comes to the to the roster. Uh, Blaze is actually on the roster in the game, so I kind of <laughs> have to decide whether I want to get rid of him or, or what do I want to do. So you know, that's that's a big decision, Franco. Just play him. Play him. Have him there. Use him off the bench. Uh, I don't know because he takes an international roster spot. And so, you know, I, I would have to leave out um, Mota or, or Gregory or, you know, it doesn't make sense. So it's, it's I, I don't want to kick Campana as well. I don't know. I don't know. See, this is, this is why it's, 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 it's going to take some time. But I, I think I, I should move past preseason this week. Okay, well... Inter-Miami's season, their actual season, is not going that well. And we will touch on that in this week's episode. Obviously dissecting the most recent game, a 2-0 defeat at home to LAFC. We will also touch on Phil Neville's comments with regards to Gonzalo Higuain and needing or wanting him to step up and produce more. And we'll touch on a bunch of other things leading up to this weekend's game against FC Cincinnati, the last one before the international break. At the very end of the podcast, we will, of course, answer your questions in our beloved Q&A session. We love doing it. Hopefully, you guys enjoy it as well. So, Jose, it's just you and I this time. Are you ready? I am ready. All right. Let's get to it. So, Inter-Miami's Week 3 game went like this, everybody. They came out in a 4-4-2, and they lost 2-0 at home at Drive Pink Stadium, dropping more points in their home venue. The goals came from Quadwo Opoku in the 45th minute, and then Ismael Tajuri Shradi 
in the 82nd off of a free kick that nobody got a... He whipped it in. It was a cross free kick, but nobody got a hand to it or nobody got a, a head to it, and it just found the back of the net. So Inter Miami's undone that way. Of course, of note, it was Breck Shea receiving a red card just before halftime, two minutes into to first half stoppage time. So Inter Miami loses. This was the lineup that they went with. Clement Diop in goal, DeAndre Yedlin, Damian Lowe, Christopher McVeigh and Breck Shea was the starting back four. The midfield four from right to left were Gene Mota, Gregory, Mo Adams, and Robert Taylor. And then up top were Gonzalo Higuain and Leonardo Campana. Jose, we will dive into all the post-game remarks in just a little bit. But let's start with your biggest takeaway from this game. Um, well, it, it's really hard to tell. Uh, because, you know, there are so many little things that you can point at. But uh, I would obviously point initially to the to the formation, right? Because we, we finally we were able to see this formation um, from the start. You know, we had an idea of what it would look like from, from the last game against Austin in the second half. But, um, yeah, the formation, I think it's, it, it, it's the takeaway here. We, we can see how... Uh, things are starting to change now that um, Phil is trying to develop this four-man backline formation, staying away from the five-man backline that we have been used to for most of last year and the start of this year. I, think, I told you, you Friday. Know, I told you Friday we would see the yeah. four-man. I told you I, yeah. I, during the press conferences, I was like, I think they're switching. And you, what did you tell me? No, I no, I, I wasn't expected. For me, it wasn't expected. It was just I, the way I, it was the way Phil Neville talked about the differences that there were in between them. When I asked him, his response to me led me to believe that, that it would. I found out afterwards, closer to the game, that they were going to go with the four-man back line. So I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to, to bring up that anecdote because you told me flat out in the press conference, no way they're switching to a back four against LAFC. It's not possible. But obviously yeah. they did. And they, they didn't do too bad. They did not do too bad regardless of what the what the score was. Yeah, because you know, I, I when I thought that having um, changing the the formation against LAFC, which is a good team, um, w- w- was going to be a little bit risky. I was thinking about uh, the good LAFC, not the one that we saw over the weekend here in South Florida. So um, yeah, I, I thought it was risky because you know we all know that this is this is a team that's still a work in progress, and so. If if you go away from your biggest um, asset, then you know you're you're compromising yourself. And I I thought that that was well, I th- in my mind that I thought that 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 was a mistake to change the formation against a a good team like LAFC. But in the end, I think you know it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. I mean, listen, the game was horrible in the first half. I know I know you think otherwise, but <laughs> it was it was horrible. It was terrible to watch. I don't know if it if it was the wind or anything, but you know they couldn't put three passes together. If, to me, it was just very disappointing first half. So, my biggest takeaway from this game is that the result masked the performance. I don't think this was a two to zero type of game for Inter Miami that they should have lost, just based on what we saw. Inter Miami defensively did a good job, and I agree with you that LAFC did not look. All of that energetic. They didn't look like the LAFC that we normally come to expect. Maybe that has to do with something that Andy Diosa last week said when we previewed the LAFC game about 
this would have been a 10.30 a.m. game for them had they been back home in Los Angeles, right? Just because of the time difference. So maybe they were conserving energy. Maybe it was part of the game plan. Maybe Inter-Miami just did a very good job defensively. Um, Damian Lowe had a, had a very, very good game, in my opinion. Christopher McVeigh did as well. Not as good as Damian Lowe, but I thought the center back partnership there was was pretty solid. So defensively, Inter-Miami did, did, did its job. Did its job. It nullified LAFC by and large in this game. Obviously, they gave up two goals. The first one, I think, comes off of an unfortunate bounce. Breck Shea did did not do a great job of tracking his man and marking his man. But that first goal comes off an unfortunate bounce because Robert Taylor goes to, to block a pass and it, it deflects perfectly into the into the path of Kwadu Opoku. And then the second goal, obviously, late on, comes off of, a, again, a free kick that nobody, nobody touched and it just found its way into the back of the net. So... I don't think Inter Miami performed that badly. Not enough for a 2-0 defeat. But I do agree with you in the sense that, yes, in the first half, the passing was off the mark. The team lacked precision. They lacked accuracy. And the team also didn't generate a whole lot as a result of that. But they still were able to keep possession. And that's something we touched on last week. Is that Inter Miami needed to be better with the ball in order to defend with the ball in order to be able to nullify the opponent and avoid having to defend for large stretches and, and giving the you know LAFC chance after chance to try to create attacking sequences. So I thought Inter Miami in that first half made big improvements and I thought that was that was a step in the right direction. It wasn't uh, a master class in attacking soccer, absolutely not. They didn't generate a whole lot as I, as I said earlier. So Yes, I get I get your your point in that sense. That first half didn't leave you with a whole lot of chances created. Neither goalkeeper had to make a ton of saves. But again, for Inter Miami, from where it was in week two to week three, I thought it was a step in the right direction. Now we have to talk about the attack because obviously things did not did not go well. But before we do that, Breck Shea, what'd you think of his performance? I know you're not high on Breck Shea in general. And you've you've told me for a good part or the better part of a year now that you don't think he's a defender and that Inter Miami probably should move on from him. So this game probably justified that opinion a bit or strengthened that opinion a little bit. But what do you think of of his game overall? Yeah, I just don't think that's that's the right position for him at this time in his career. I mean, he can go by experience because, you know, he, he played there before, but it's it, it's been a while since he has been effective there. So I think it's, you know, he's playing there out of necessity because, you know, maybe Phil thinks that experience can overcome the unexperience and and, and with that, that Noah Allen um, brings to the table when he's on, on the field. Um, I, just, I just thought, you know, other than... Uh, Breck Shea not not having a good game and 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 getting that red card in, in the last few seconds of the first half, which obviously you know it, it was a huge talking point and it should be a huge talking point because that changed the game. Um, I just think that you know it, it's not to blame on on Breck Shea, but I think the responsibility of of this game not going the way Phil wanted it to go, um, it it's on the middle of the field and not necessarily. On, on Mo Adams because he had a he, he was probably the highlight of the team. Mo Adams played a very good game, trying to do more than he, what he needed to do. But I think 
uh, uh, Jean Mota and, and Gregory, they were not good enough. You know, watching the game over again, I just think they were not good enough. And, and I, I do agree, with, and we'll talk about this later on with Phil. I, I just thought they, they needed to do a lot more. They they missed so they missed so many easy passes, easy ones, easy ones. You know, everyday pass in training, um, in game, and they missed them all. They missed a lot. So you know, I, I wouldn't put blame on on Breg Schaefer, an individual error playing out of position, according to my opinion, of course. Um, I wouldn't put much blame on him. I just think it's it's all in the middle of the field. So. I would disagree with you on two aspects of that. I would disagree with you in that that's not Brekshay's position because at this point in his career, if he's not playing left uh, left back or left wing back, I don't know where else he can play. I don't, I don't think he has the, the pace to be a left uh, midfielder or winger, and he's definitely not a center back. So I think that is his position at this point in time. But I do. Oh well, I also disagree with that. He, you know, it didn't come down just to one play. I thought he had a, probably the worst performance he's had in an Inter Miami jersey in the first half of this game against LAFC because he was missing passes left and right. He was just not sharp, and you know that can happen. That can happen. You can come out of uh, or you can come out of the gates and start a game and and just not have it on the day. The touch can be off. The passes you attempt don't just don't connect. That can happen, but. All of that combined with the then mistake on the deflected pass that leads to the goal, and then the the red card that that for me was decisive. The red card for me just doomed Inter Miami and, and ruined any chance they had at getting back into that game. Because at one zero down before halftime, obviously not great, especially to give it up just before you're about to go into the locker room. But then to get the red card and be down a man and down a goal, it's practically. Uh, I won't say it's impossible because Inter Miami did 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 have moments where it looked like they started to threaten, but it's very very difficult. It's an uphill it's an uphill climb, a steep uphill climb, and it proved too tough for Inter Miami in the gusts of wind and sheets of rain that were at Drive Pink Stadium, at least temporarily, with regards to the rain in that second that second half. So Inter Miami they lost in the wind and they're what are they now? Oh one and two. You're just you're just expecting too much out of Breck Shea. That's the problem, you know, because you expect for him to be good defensively, good with the ball, moving all uh, out of the back. Oh come on, Jose! He's not he's, that's Jose. A, that's a Jose. Lot Jose. He's not at that level to play at that position back and forth. You know, he's not a left back anymore. He's not. So a what left position back is anymore. he then? What where, where should he play? He he plays on the left somewhere uh, in the middle of the field. You know, put him in a position that you want. But a left back is no longer a left back. I mean, he's gonna be in trouble. Look what happened in the in the in the red card, and and that's the that's a a, a, a couple seconds decision. You, you only have a couple seconds to decide whether you want to foul the guy. But if you chase him, if Breck Shea chase him, you know he's not gonna get him. He's not gonna get him. That's gonna be a one v one with the goalkeeper. And he decided to take on the on the red card. Of course, now we know it's a bad decision. But you know, if you put Breck Shea in that position you know, the outcome is not going to be a good one, whether it's a yellow card or it's a goal. So, I mean, if this happens to, to Damien Lowe, yes, I can criticize him a lot. But this is what I come to expect from Rick Shade. That's why I don't want him to play as a left back. <laughs> Those are harsh words, man. This is what you come to expect from, from Breck Shea, a goal given up and a red card. Look, I know people are down on Breck Shea. And, uh, you know, some people are down on Breck Shea, not everybody, but some people are. I would say 
you look, you can have a bad game. You can have a bad game, right? That that happens. He had a bad game, a terrible game. I would need to see him. I would get if I if it were if it were me. I would give him one more chance, like as a left back at some point in the season. And if he does not perform in that game, then okay, maybe maybe it's time to to start looking towards the future and looking at either Noah Allen or or a different alternative there. Because you can have a bad game. You can have a bad game. So, I, look, and Breck Shea has provided good moments over the last two years. And I know, again, you're not you're not super high on, on Breck Shea, but he has provided some but goals. Those, he has had some, some serviceable outings for Inter-Miami right. over the past right. two years. So, Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. You talk about moments. Okay, let's go back in time. How many of those moments are... On defense, and how many of those moments are whether he scores or he gets an assist? I mean, more of the moments, of course, will come on the attacking end. That those will be the ones that you remember yeah. more. Hold on, those will be the ones you remember more. But that doesn't mean that he hasn't had decent to solid games at the back. I'm not saying he's ever been a shutdown defender where he's closed down his wing completely, but he's been serviceable and. Look, in MLS, with the roster you have and the budgets and all this, you need serviceable players. You don't. Not every player in every position is going to wow you. But again, just my point is that I would give him one more game. If he has another shocker like he did on Saturday, which again can happen, then I would say, okay, you know what? Maybe he's past it now at this time in, in his career and, and maybe you use him in just very, very seldom or very, very few situations. But... I, I wouldn't just completely say Brett Shea is not at the level right now. He had a terrible game. No denying that. But it's just one game. It's one game. If he does it again, if that if that's his performance level in another match, all right. Another player that did not have a good game was Gregory, who I thought also in that first half missed a lot of passes, just wasn't very sharp, did not look like the Gregory that we know. And he hasn't really looked like the Gregory we know through the first three games of this season. Something that Phil Neville mentioned in the post-game press conference when he said very directly, Gregory needs to get up to his level or needs to, to raise his level. Um, what did you think of Gregory's performance in this one in that middle of the park? I know you just mentioned it with Gene Mota, but Gregory specifically, what did you think of, of the captain's showing against LAFC? Yeah, I do agree. I agree with you. I think, you know, I, I was expecting so much more from Gregory. I think, you know, uh, we all know that he hasn't been performing at a level that, that we know he can. And um, with this being a national televised game, um, you know, just having an opportunity to play against a top opposition in MLS, I, I thought he would step up. But, you know, for some reason, I don't know if it's not feeling comfortable um, I really don't know what's going on here because, you know, Gregory should be the one man that you can rely on gaming every single game during the regular season. That's that's his style. That's that's what we learned from him um, in the last few months here in South Florida. So I just thought he was very ineffective. I don't know, you know, if, if having Mo Adams um, right next to him and, and and having Mo play at a high level he kind of relaxes a little bit and takes notes that he has somebody that can actually help him. And, and as well with the, you know, with the chemistry that they have with, with John Mota, because that, that has been noticeable, you know, where they connect with each other, they, they know what they want to do. 
But unfortunately, they haven't done it enough, and especially over the weekend. Uh, I just thought, you know, passes that were missed, you know, that that were important in the buildup, they were just not there. And, and you know, we can point out at at, at Gonzalo and, and and the attacking players, but the middle of the field wasn't able to set things up. And and I think that's that's mainly on Gregory because he's the captain and because he should be the leader in, in the middle of the field. You made a good point about Mo Adams because Mo Adams is. What would, how would you describe his strengths as a, as a player or as a midfielder, a central midfielder? He's rangy, covers a lot of ground. But, yes, yes. And that's, and that's what Gregory does as well. But if if Mo Adams is doing that, you know, does Gregory feel as, as I don't know if the word's free, but if he feels as, I'll just say free, if he feels as free as, as doing the same, does, does he feel a little more restricted or he has to be a little bit more tactically savvy and stay in position I, I don't know I don't know the answer to those questions but it could be something that is is playing a role in this that that maybe he doesn't feel he has that that freedom to just roam around and run around because if you have two center midfielders doing that then you know your 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 shape your your defensive posture could be uh left pretty exposed so maybe maybe there is an element to that there but obviously regardless of what it is Gregory has to pick it up because in that first half I thought he and Breck Shea were were two of the worst players for Inter Miami in terms of just what what they what they brought to the table because they they neither of them were connecting on passes. Gregory had a couple of moments where he you know he tried to penetrate with dribbling runs. I remember one where he got fouled and he he very demonstratively uh, uh, asked for a foul and got very upset. Something we normally don't see from Gregory, but for me it's probably just the the. The frustration from from having mishit so many passes and having just been lacking that sharpness that you need to to start a game. So I think he was just he, he was upset with it more with himself than with the foul and 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 he he lashed out. But that's just just my vantage point from the outside. Before we get to Phil Neville's comments on Gonzalo Higuain, we have to touch on one more player, and that is Leonardo Campana. He was pulled at halftime as part of the the changes that, that Phil Neville made to try to adjust to losing a man and then trying to get back into the game. I thought he had a very, very poor performance as well. What did you think of Leonardo Campana's most recent start for Inter Miami? Um listen, I think uh, I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be very honest here. I I I don't want to blame Campana because I'm starting to to understand what what he what what type of player he is, and um, I think he's gonna be you know one of those guys strikers traditional strikers where um, you know he, he's usually waiting for that one chance you know he, he you maybe don't see him touch the ball for 88 minutes but in the 89th minute he gets an opportunity he puts it in. Um, I'm hoping that's the case because as of right now, you know, there's, there's not a lot we can, we, we can dive into. Um, he hasn't shown a lot, but I want to, yeah, he, he has the one goal this season for Inter Miami. So, yeah, but I, I mean, I, I just don't go by stats. Oh, of course, I, of course. I said that tongue I, in cheek, tongue in cheek. That was, that was said in yeah. chest. So, um, I I just I, I want to give him some time to maybe see how he can develop some relationships on the field. I obviously like 
for him to start in this formation with, I think he gets a lot of help and he's going to have more opportunities this way. Um, but, you know, other than Campana, I think there we're missing a, a name here and it's Robert Taylor. Um, he got the start and um, I did not like what I saw from Robert Taylor as well. He was uh, very ineffective. He didn't get a lot of good balls, I would say that. And that's on, on the midfielders again. But, you know, if we're going to talk about Campana and how he didn't show that much, I think Robert Taylor, uh, it's on that list as well. But again, you know, it's part of the development. And, and, and maybe when we were, the, the point we were just touching on, on, on Mo Adams and, and that relationship with, with Gregory, maybe that's part of the development of, as well of this team. I think we mentioned this several times during preseason. It's going to take some time. This is not going to be a good team to get going. And right now they're not a good team, and they're showing they're not a good team. We're gonna have to wait and see. That's why I have my, I still have my deadline of ten games. You know, after, when you get to ten games, and that's a lot. That's a lot. Ten it's a games. third of the season, pretty much. That, that's a lot of room there. So if by the tenth game this team is not showing something different, then you know, it's 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 gonna be even tougher, I think, than what we thought. So I will not absolve Leonardo Campana of playing. Because he did not have a good first half showing. And yes, he's probably still working his way back to 100%, which you know he touched on when we spoke to him last week in terms of his sharpness, in terms of getting comfortable with the teammates and the system. But you still have to perform better than he did in that first half because he was a, a non-factor. Yes, Inter-Miami in general did not progress the ball forward well. They kept it for for stretches, but they did so more so. Uh, they did so more in the middle of the park and in the defensive zone, not really in the attacking third. So, you know that that's going to hurt how much Campana and Iguain could influence the game because they were the two strikers for Inter Miami. But but when he did get the ball, the few times that it came his way, did not like what I saw, and I think Phil Neville also did not like what he saw. Because Inter-Miami, if you go back and rewatch the game, and this is something I noticed in the stadium at Drive Pink on, on Saturday, they try to go long to Campana a few times. And it looked like they wanted him to flick the ball onto teammates or, or, or fight for those aerial battles and, and try to win second balls off of him. And they very rarely did that. And on two occasions, I saw two occasions in the stadium where when they went long and he lost the aerial challenge... And LAFC got the ball very quickly. Phil Neville shouted in frustration. So Campana has to do better there. In in that aspect, he has to do better in terms of his sharpness. Now, Phil Neville had said in the lead-up to the game against LAFC that he wanted Campana to, to use his body, his size, his strength a little bit more. He wants him to be more of that type of forward. And I, I can understand the frustration because... You, you saw him lose multiple aerial battles there in uh, against LAFC on, on, on long balls that were played out of the back. So he needs to do better across all aspects. If he's not going to get a lot of touches in the final third, at least help in the build-out, at least flick some balls on, at least do that function. Especially if you have the size. It's not like he doesn't have the size. You know, We'll see if he can develop into that type of player because you know, I remember, and this is going back some, some time now, but Kenny Cooper... When he was playing in MLS and he was with the Red Bulls, and even before that, he was a big a big dude. 
people thought he should play a certain type of way because he has a big frame and he should be able to, to outmuscle center backs and hold them off, but he was never that type of player and he never really became that type of player. So Campana's much younger. We'll see how Campana develops. We'll see if he turns into that type of player that, that uses his body more, uses his frame more to hold off defenders and, and, and is uh, a bit more... Uh, a bit more physical. A bit more physical. That's the word I'm looking for. A bit more physical. So we'll see how... I do how... agree with that. Although I said one, one thing. You know, if Inter-Miami um, creates chances, gets possession on the attacking side of the field, um, we're very easily going to forget about Campana not being effective on long balls. Right? Because he's inside the box. And if he's able to finish then we're not going to care that he's good or not with his body. We're going to care about him scoring. And if he misses opportunities, then we're going to uh, point them out. Now, see, so, now I think I, you're asking for too much. Now I think you're asking too, for too much. because I don't think this inter, But I don't think this Inter-Miami team is going to be that type of team where they are going to generate good attacking sequences by and large well, through possession. I just don't, I don't... They don't have the players for that. Who, who are the technical okay. players in the team that can create? What, what I'm trying to say is that, you know... It's hard to judge Campana because of long balls, because that's probably not his game. You know, we have to judge him by the chances that he gets inside the box, because that's that's where he gets his money. Um, so, you know, if it's not if, even if he's winning long balls, that doesn't necessarily mean that's a good thing for Inter Miami. I mean, that might be the first step that Phil wants to take. To, to play a little bit more, to get a little bit faster and, and onto the other side of the field. But, you, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean means goals. So I think Campana is there to score goals, not to win long balls. Jose, of course a striker needs to put the ball in the back of the net, but there are other elements to the game that they have to incorporate as well. It's not just, okay, put the ball in the back of the net and do nothing else. There's there's different things they have to do in, in the sequences that lead up to potential chances. And winning if, if Phil Neville wants to go long... And he thinks Campana has the size to do so, which you, you, I think you just said you agree with that he, he does have the size and he should be able to. Um, then I, I think it's perfectly reasonable to say he should be doing better in that regard. Because again, I don't think this Inter Miami team is going to be a team that is going to be setting up Leonardo Campana with passes left and right by and large so that he can put them into the back of the net. They're going to have to come on. On either Iguain's magic or or just different different moments, different moments, yeah. set pieces, half chances, different things. I don't think he's going to just get fed, you know, clear cut scoring chances left and right on this Inter Miami team because I just don't see them having that many technical players that can advance the ball in that way. Gene Mota's one, Iguain's another, Robert Taylor has shown signs, but that's about it. Gregory's not that type of player. Mo Adams isn't that type of player. Like I just don't see this team, you know, giving giving Campana a, a, a boatload of chances for him to put put away. And he did have some chances in that first game of the season, and he did not score. And, and yeah. he he put he he needed to do better there. Let's switch gears because we've talked we've talked a good bit about Campana. We've talked a good bit about Campana. Let's go to let's go to Iguain. Let's go to Phil Neville because Phil Neville made some remarks after the match that grabbed plenty of headlines and grabbed a lot of attention. Let's listen to it. Let's listen to his remarks. One was very directly about Higuain. The other one, you could read between the lines and interpret it as so, but let's let's give them a listen, and then we'll dive into it. Because I want him to score goals, and I want him to assist goals. So his, his role's no different than last year. He had lots of assists last year and lots of goals. Just because he's changed the number on his back doesn't mean that 
doesn't mean that my expectations of him are any, any more or any less. Just because it, just because there's a number 10 on the back doesn't take off, oh, he doesn't have to score goals now because he's not got the number nine on the back. I want him to score more goals. For us to be successful, he has to perform. For us to be successful, he has to perform in these moments for this team. That's that's the challenge. So, so for me, and I'm really strong on this, is that his role hasn't changed. He dropped in last year, played in the hole last year. Very rarely did he run in behind last year. Just because the number on his shirt's changed doesn't mean that people's opinions of where he's playing and the expectations of me, he is the one that's our best finisher. He's the one that, that, that we demand the most goals from. He's the one that we demand the most assists from, period. But I just wanted more quality from my quality players because that's what they give. That's what every team, every team we've played against, their quality players stand up and score. Ours don't, and they need to. They need to, and that's the pressure. We had chances in the first game against Chicago, four or five chances, I think, in the second game against uh, Austin. I think they had seven chances. I think we had I think we had 13 shots on goal. I think 13 shots on goal. They had seven, scored five. So there lies the problem. They had seven shots on goal and scored five. We had 12 and scored one. So there's accountability there. There's accountability there for the team. We controlled the game in the final third. You want your best players to stand up to show the most composure. I'm like a bro broken record. Show the most composure, the most quality from set plays. Deliver the ball into the right areas that we work on. Deliver the ball into the right areas that we work on. Final pass, final movement, final shot. Deliver. And, it, and it's, 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 it's why I was a fullback and was paid the less in the team. Defenders get paid the less for a reason. And attackers get paid the most for a reason. It's because that's the hardest thing to do. Jose, you were there in the press conference room as I was on Saturday. We've had a few days now to digest it, think about it. What are your thoughts? I haven't gotten your updated thoughts. I don't know if they're the same as they were on Saturday night when we spoke in person or if they've changed. But what are your thoughts on those comments from Phil Neville? No, after, you know, after watching the game again, um, I, 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 I do agree with Phil. You know, um, Pipita, he, he needs to do a little bit more. He, he needs to do, he's capable of doing more. Um, I think, you know, the right decision was made in the second half, bringing him out and um, and getting some pace with, with Lassiter. I I know exactly what what Field was, was um, you know, what his message was. And, and I don't think it's, it, it's about, you know, creating... Um, a talking point or trouble within the locker room. It's just a matter of the frustration that when you have a top player like him, I don't know if it's a top, top player, but we know what I mean. You know, he, he is MLS, sure. the highest level. So um, you, you, you have to expect a little bit more from him. And, uh, and um, he, he needs to be that leader that, you know, goes and, and talks directly to, to Gregory and Mota and, and just gets in their ear and tells them, Hey, listen, it's a simple pass. You, you have to, you need to do that for me. I, I need you to do that. And if not, he needs to get on the ball. And he needs to understand how to make adjustments on the field and not just wait for his teammates to do something for him so that he's positioned where he wants to be and do things how he wants to do them. You know, at times, I think he needs to learn how to adjust to what's going on on the field. And he needs to understand as well, Franco, th this is not a top team. You know, this is not one of the best teams in MLS. So there, there are going to be challenges. You know, there are going to be moments in which you are frustrated with how your team is, with what your teammates are doing. 
You know, they can develop into a good team. But as of right now, they are still a work in progress. And if I know that, if I know that, Gonzalo Iwain should know that better than me. So I, I do agree with Phil on, on his comments. And, and, and hopefully, you know, this, is, this doesn't get out of proportion because I think it doesn't have to. It's just, it's just a frustration from a manager. And I, I do agree with Phil this time. I agree with Phil Neville in the sense that Iwain does have to raise the level of his performances. The last two games have not been great from him. The first game in week one was pretty, pretty acceptable. The last two games, not so much, but Inter-Miami, again, like we've said, with in terms of the attack, hasn't been all that great. A lot of that lies on his shoulders as the DP, but part of that also lies on the function of the team, how well the team is playing, how, how just the team in general is moving the ball forward. So I agree with Phil Neville to an extent, I, but I don't, dis- I don't agree with Phil Neville in that Gonzalo Higuain's role has not changed. Oh, his his role has absolutely changed. I don't I I I don't know how you know how uh, Phil Neville can sit there and say that the Iguain's role has not changed because maybe the expectations from within have not changed in terms of Gonzalo Iguain needs to create and score. Okay, I understand that, but his role on the field tactically has definitely changed. He is no longer the guy leading the front line, and yes, last year he dropped back at times and necessarily wasn't the spear of the uh, of the attack. But he's definitely dropping back now and has a striker ahead of him, which he didn't have for much of last year. Maybe towards the tail end of the season when Robbie Robinson was starting to get looks again as, as a striker. Okay, maybe there Higuain was playing more of a 10, but... This season, he's clearly playing a bit more withdrawn than whoever his strike partner is, whether it's Campana, whether it's Lasseter. So I don't agree with Phil Neville there. I think you don't either. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I think that's a given. Maybe, I, I really don't know what, what Phil was thinking, but uh, maybe he was. it was just a frustration. But I think, you know... Um, I think it's a good question for this week. I think it's it, a good question for this week. It, it's pretty clear, Franco. I mean, roles have changed. I, I mean, do you want Pipito to score? Yeah, absolutely. Of course. You know, that's that's what he has been doing throughout his entire career. Of course you want him to score. But if you want him to score, you put him inside the box. You know, you get him a 10 uh, that he can actually believe in, like he did last year with his brother. And then he's going to be inside the box. But he has shown so many times this year and last year that if he's not comfortable with the player that is playing right behind him, then he's going to drop back a little bit and, you know, he wants to get some touches and that's exactly what, what he has been doing. And, and no, he's, he's, he's not, it's not the same role. It's not the same role. And I think everybody listening can, can agree to that. Uh, I, I really, I really don't know. Maybe, maybe Phil was trying to get to the point that, you know, they want him to do so much more. Right, which, which yeah. I, that part I understand. That part yeah. I understand. But tactically, his role has absolutely changed. Tactically, yeah, has changed. Yes, and absolutely. and now I wanted to touch on something from this game that you mentioned to me in person on Saturday that I did not see, but I saw it on the broadcast, and that is that when Gonzalo Higuain was subbed off in the second half, you know, Phil, Phil Novel gives him a pat on the arm, and then Jason Christ comes over to Higuain as as Higuain's walking to the bench. To give to shake his hand, or you know, just give him that the 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 formal gesture of all right, you know, 
good effort or you know however you want to look at it. And what did Higuain do? Waved him off. Like he was he was frustrated with the performance with himself. I don't know, but he he did not give Jason Christ a handshake. And obviously that can happen in a game that you know yeah. the, the emotions are high and you know tension is tension is high as well. So but that obviously doesn't doesn't look uh, very good, especially for Miguel, who's been criticized for his his attitude and his demeanor. So, your thoughts on that? Because we had a lengthy discussion about this after the game about Iguain and and his 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 role in that locker room and within the team, not necessarily on the field, but within the team. Yeah, I think that's uh, Salidia key moment in Spanish, right? Mm. <laughs> I don't know if it translates well to a get out of get, here. Get out of here. Get out of here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. You know, the reputation that Peter Wayne's reputation right now is, is <laughs> that's the, that's the main talking point. Honestly, you know, the, the relationship, the way he expresses himself on the field, that that's a talking point. And obviously that's not going to help. But, you know, uh, I, I think it comes down to the fact that he just didn't want to come out of the game, which is something that you're going to probably see every game if you sub him out. Um, so that part, I think it's it's good because, you know, it shows compromise that he wants to be on the field, that he wants to help this team. Um, but it also makes you think, like, you know, why would he do that? Why, is he not aware of of what this can do to the to the team and... And, and, you know, to the outside talk, which shouldn't get in, but I, I mean, it obviously gets in, you know, the players listen to, to what everybody else is saying about what, uh, how the way he reacts on the field. So, um, it's, uh, and, and listen, Jason, to me, I mean, he, he, <laughs> I give him a lot of credit for trying because I, I would have stayed away from Iwain. If you really know him. Uh, I would have stayed away from Iwain as he was coming out of the field. <laughs> Jason Christ's response, from what I can gather on the TV, is just like okay, <laughs> as he as he going just walks past him and 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 snubs his uh his handshake gesture, his handshake attempt. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I'm I will, sure. I, I will ask you. I will ask you because I because we have we have had this conversation in person, and I think we should have it as well on on air. Who runs this team, in your opinion? Is it Phil Neville or is it Gonzalo Higuain? Uh, I think this year, I think this year, Phil is is in control. But I disagree. I, think, I don't think Phil is in complete control of Gonzalo Higuain. So Phil controls most of the team except for <laughs> for the VP because um, I think we have heard, we both have heard. Um, Phil Neville say that um, he wants Gonzalo Wayne to play as a nine. We have seen, we have heard that several times, haven't we? Yeah, he told me in preseason when I sat down with him that he that he he that it's a it's a mental thing for Iguain in terms of wanting to play as a ten and not you know needing to trust his teammates and, and the players he has around him on in this in this squad this year, and that he you know he 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 thinks he's the best finisher. Now, obviously, since then he said he's the best finisher and best assist man as well, or, or the best playmaker. But look, for me, I think it's clear that Iguain runs this team to an extent because, it, like you just mentioned, 
If Phil Neville's preference is to have Higuain up top in the box as a number nine, then you then you make him do that. Then you tell him this is what your role is. And if the player's not following those instructions, then you gotta have a talk with him or you you bench him, something of the sort. I'm not gonna but, bench Higuain. But that's my so that's so that's my point. So then, if Higuain's playing more as a ten, that's Phil Neville catering to Iguain's desires and wants. And then that, to me, tells me that Iguain's influence is pretty, pretty significant if he gets to call the shots on, on the position he's playing. Now, Iguain, when I sat down with him in, the, in preseason and had a one-on-one, he said he had never played that position before, really. He's never really played as a 10 throughout his career, but that, you know, it's something he had discussed with, with, with the coach, with Phil Neville. So, look, this is not uncommon in sports, where a player of a certain stature, a certain level, gets, gets uh, I don't know if accused, but is talked about as having a big influence. And, and, and you can look at LeBron James in basketball, right? How, how many different teams has LeBron James been on where people say, oh, he's the one coaching the team, not Tyrone Liu, for example? Because when you have a player of a certain level, you need a coach of a certain level, of a certain resume of a certain personality and character to keep that player in line and to, and for that player to to earn the respect or excuse me for that coach to earn the respect of the player i don't know if phil neville has completely won over gonzalo Higuain. i would say probably not and that's just my opinion this is not information it's just my my opinion I don't think that phil neville has completely won over gonzalo Higuain. gonzalo Higuain's played at high levels phil neville did too Phil Neville did too, but I don't know if, in terms of uh, as a coach, if he's done enough for Gonzalo Higuain to be like, all right, yeah, you know, I'll, I, I will 100% listen to this head coach, or I fully buy into the ideas that he's selling. That's that's just my opinion. I don't know what your opinion is on the matter. Yeah, well, I think that the main problem for for Phil right now is is how to convince uh, Higuain. I think that's that's a problem. That's a problem. But other than that, I think Phil is in control of the rest of the squad, um, and um, and and you know maybe that that will be a, a, a turning point, you know, for this team when when whether well, I think it it should be Pepita, but because I, he she should give in to and do exactly what Phil wants him to do on the field. I think that that's what should happen, and if that doesn't happen, then you know Inter Miami needs to find a way to get him out of the team because. Um, you know, I think it's too late for that. I think it's too late for that. Well, yeah, but I mean, in in terms of making progress, if that relationship is not able to, to, and, and I'm talking about a relationship when it comes to to football decisions, of course. Um, I do believe at this point, you know, if they are able to get together, and um, and show it actually on the field because you know again we we have we have had comments from both sides that are completely opposite in terms of the way uh, they want to play on the field if they're able to to put their head together and 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 find a way to both become both of them be comfortable and can relate that to the rest of the squad i think you know better things will come for inter miami but um clearly at this point you know they 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 still have they 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 are they are a work in progress as well. I, I I think you know when Pipita realizes that you know it's better for him to play as a nine like Phil wants him to play. 
I think that would be a better outcome for for Inter Miami. Again, that's that's just an opinion from what I see from from the press box. I don't, I'm not there every single day in training, but it seems pretty obvious from from the press box. And so, um, I would again, I would say, I think Phil is almost in control of the entire squad except for w- that one big piece, which is Iguain. So uh, hopefully he gets we get all all this sorted out. Because I think it's it's complicated to even to to cover the team because uh, I've had that same question in my head as well. Just like you know the the one we're, we're talking about right now, who's really I mean, in control? Like, yeah, let's let's keep it let's keep it real. Let's keep it honest. I mean, this is these are things that people close to the team that cover the team, and I'm sure some fans as well talk about and we've talked about this throughout different points of this year last year not just amongst ourselves amongst other people other colleagues that have similar impressions that Gonzalo Higuain is the one and again maybe this year that that's not the same exact case because the team has changed but Gonzalo Higuain has a very significant obviously influence in the decisions that are being made and is Phil Neville is Phil Neville Doing the best job at controlling that, or not controlling, managing that uh, personality, managing that that big personality on the field and off the field, or is he le- letting Iguain get away with too much? Again, these are questions that we have, and obviously it's it's hard to get an answer to because we are not in the locker room. Yeah. But just judging from what we see, it does look like Iguain is the one that has more influence on Neville than Neville has on e- on Iguain. And that's just my opinion from, from the outside. That. That's my opinion yeah. from the outside. Uh, and look, is that an issue? Yes, because the coach should be, ideally, the one that, that is in control or, or manages everything, right? Like that, that He's the one that makes the, 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 finals, the final decisions. But this can happen when you have a head coach who is young and whose coaching resume is as thin as Phil Neville's is because Phil Neville hasn't coached all that much. He's still a young head coach. And it's it's not a criticism of him that he's a young head coach. You obviously have to to go through different jobs, different roles, different <clears throat> different seasons in order to to establish get yourself established and to to get that experience. But he doesn't have that. And I and again, to reiterate, I think if they had a more established head coach with a I don't know if a bigger name or a stronger name I just think Gonzalo Higuain maybe would be a bit more, a bit more bought into the whole thing. A bit more. I don't think he's fully bought in ever into Phil Neville's, Phil Neville's idea. You, your, 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 uh, your comparison to last year when he had Federico on the field, I think is a prime example. When Federico Higuain was on the field, you saw a different Gonzalo Higuain. And when he wasn't on the field, then you saw a different Gonzalo Higuain. So I don't it- think he's ever fully bought into Phil Neville's idea. You know, if there was a Marcelo Bielsa at the helm, if El Pelado Almeida, who's in San Jose, if someone like that was was coaching Inter Miami, I think Iguain would be more bought in. But again, that's just my opinion. Now, th- this should get solved. I mean, th- this shouldn't become the the Gonzalo Iguain versus Phil Neville battle. I mean, th- this is something that should get solved. You know, some somebody needs to step in and. Uh, and or, or they need to have a talk, or um, you know, this this. I think they both have uh, the the same goal, which is for Inter Miami to win, right? And and if this is the case again, um, 
you know, they they need to get things sorted out. And um, I think that would be better for for both of them. You know, obviously, um, Gonzalo has said before that he wants to stay here. This is his last um, year in the contract. So if, if he wants to stay here in South Florida, then he needs to perform at a high level and he needs to know how to develop a relationship with, with the head coach because it looks like Phil is going to be here as well for the long run, as of right now, of course. And so, I mean, they both want to win. And I think at some point, if Phil has been, has had the courtesy to give Gonzalo Higuain the right to make the decision where he wants to play, if this is not working, I think we need to see a similar response from, from Gonzalo, right? You know, if it's not, if the team is not scoring, is not winning games, then maybe try what the coach wants to do. You know, that's but it's not, not but, but, but it's up to the coach to make the game plan. It's up to the coach. Ideally, it's up to the coach to say, hey, you're playing as a nine and we need you to stay up there as a nine. And the player has should follow that. If the player respects and is bought into into the game plan, then he follows that game plan. And then if he's not, then again, that's where the questions come. I agree. Is, is, is Higuain fully bought into this? And, I, and I'll add this final thought because we, yeah. we've gone long on this first segment. I was listening to a Peruvian podcast talk show in Spanish over the weekend. And they were talking about the World Cup qualifying roster that was that was called up by Ricardo Gareca, Peru's head coach, for this last for these last pair of World Cup qualifiers in South America. And one of the talking points that they that they had in there was how Gareca and his seven years in charge has made this team buy into his tactics, his ideas, his football ideas, and and they've achieved really good things with a team that on paper is probably not all that great. That's what I think Phil Neville has to figure out with Higuain and just in general. And maybe with this group, with this new 2022 group, he's he's going to be able to do it a bit more because it's a younger group. But he needs to convince as many players in that locker room and as many significant pieces in that locker room to buy into his ideas and what he's selling and what he's preaching and what he has them working on every day and if Iguain is not part of the equation in terms of buying in then then they're going to have a problem for much of the year for much he's of the year the only one not buying in honestly he's the only one not buying in I mean I haven't heard from any other player influential player from this team that is not happy with with fail I mean I think I think it's listen again I think he's in control of most of the of, of the team, except for the one key player that Gonzalo Higuain is. And of course, that's a problem. Of course, that's a problem. But other than that, I mean, and listen, he... At times, we've seen players um, play out of position. And, um, and but, still, I, I think, like, Robert Taylor, you know, he's, he's, there, there are several players within this roster that were brought in by Phil. And that's usually a good start, right? Because Robert Taylor is a, is a player that seemed very thankful to be here for the opportunity that he was given. Um, Jean Mota as well. Gregory from the get-go, I think they had a you know a, a good relationship. I think Gregory uh, was able to perform at a good level, a, at a high level. And that's credit to the coaching staff as well. So I think there's a good relationship there. The, the main problem 
and it shows because of the position he's playing in is Gonzalo Higuain. That that is the problem. That is the that is where you know there are some issues that you know that need to get solved. And again, I, yeah, Jose, I I thought this last game was a step in the right direction in terms of the team not giving up and continuing to play and trying to to find a way into the game. The attitude that they put forth, even with ten men and down a goal, that was good. That was a step in the right direction. But the week prior against Austin when the team started just making mistake after mistake and head started to sink and and et cetera, et cetera, as we've already discussed, that to me is 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 one where is the team fully bought into what Phil Neville's selling? Is like let, let's just say and, and we'll quickly do this because again we we've gone long on this first segment. Do you think Phil Neville's methods are are I mean and this is we can't answer this question, but do you you know are Phil Neville's methods, or his day-to-day trainings and his 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 management style, is that working? Is that connecting and getting through to the players? We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see over the course of this year. Because look, look, you, you can look at players from last year. Lewis Morgan, he was playing as a right wing back. Who's That's not his position. Right. Do you think he was fully bought in last year into the ideas he was selling? I mean, he's a team player. He'll do it. He'll stand there, and he won't, he won't bicker bicker and moan but i had heard from people around the team that that lewis morgan was not happy was not happy playing happy of course so again if you're doing if you're doing things like that are you really really getting the most out of these players are you really getting them to buy into your idea that's where phil neville this year will have to prove his worth or or show that he's made progress and maybe this sec this this game against lafc especially the second half shows that he's making progress because i've said this since last year and again, it's not fair to say it with this team because it's still early in the year. But I have not seen under Phil Neville a team that plays for its coach up until the second half against LAFC. A team that that is fighting out there and is buying into the ideas and is you know you've never seen yet, really. I don't I don't recall one goal from an Inter Miami player, and they haven't scored a lot obviously over the last year and change. And then a player runs over to Phil Neville to embrace him. You haven't seen that. You don't. You don't. You don't see that come out of a player naturally. So I think we will see this season if Phil Neville's message is getting across to the players. If it's something that they are all buying into, it should. Based on based on everything we've heard in preseason and how he he had a big say in choosing these players, his message should get across. They should be buying more into the game plan, whether Gonzalo Higuain does so or not. Most of them should be buying in. But that's that's the challenge, and we will see how that unfolds in 2022. Jose, I'll let you add one more thing. I think you have one more thing to add, and then we'll close out this segment. No, I, I just I, I just think, you know, it, the team is still a work in progress, and he feels close to get where he wants to be. Um, but I do agree that, you know, having Iwain, um not buying to this strategy that that could be a problem and that 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 will be a problem as long as he remains on the team i i i think the second half against lafc when the young players were in it was exciting to watch you know they they had chances of course they didn't have a goal scorer which is why wayne should be on the field and, and and he should be taken on those on that responsibility but that disconnect right there it, it, it's a problem as of right now, but I again, I, I, I just, I just don't see that big of a problem with the rest of the squad in their relationship with the head coach. I just don't see it. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I, as of right now, I don't see it. Again, it's early. I'm not saying it's there. I'm just saying we will see this season if 
if Phil Neville gets these players to buy in. Because, again, he moves a lot of pieces around. He moves a lot of pieces around. Breck Shea at center back. Gene Mota this past weekend as the right midfielder. He, he moves players around and not necessarily puts them in their preferred positions or their, or their strongest positions. Can he get them to buy into moves like that? That's the question. We will see. Let's leave it there. We've gone long on this first segment. We still have the second one where we will preview the game against FC Cincinnati and the Q&A session. We will do all that after this. And, uh, you know, but my feeling is totally different to last week in terms of what, what I saw and the efforts of the players and what and how they they played as a team. Uh, Breck is obviously very upset in the dressing room. He's apologised to the team. Uh, you know, that's that's the man he is. Uh but I saw things today that, that gives me great confidence. Okay, guys, it's that time of week again where we preview Inter-Miami's next game with a media member of, the, well, that covers the opposing team. I won't say of the opposing team, but that covers the opposing team. Joining us this week is Boston Brazel. He writes for and podcasts for CincinnatiSoccerTalk.com. Boston, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. and I think it's my first time being on this show so i appreciate it yeah welcome to miami total football radio as we say in spanish it's known as miami total football radio in english but we like to roll our r's down here in south florida so yeah <laughs> I don't have to repeat it, yeah. <laughs> uh maybe later maybe <laughs> that's actually that's actually a good a good idea maybe we should have our guests start try to pronounce miami total football radio like that it might be funny it might be funny um okay boston let's just jump right into it from an fc cincinnati standpoint they're playing at home on saturday at 1 o'clock at TQL Stadium, coming off a big win against Orlando City. What can we expect from FC Cincinnati against Inter-Miami on Saturday afternoon? Oh, man, I've been asking myself what to expect from FC <laughs> Cincinnati. After uh, three t- tough, tough years, uh, the fan base has a little hope for the first time in a while. That hasn't been immediately crushed. And and so we saw a terrible result against Austin. I, 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 I myself flew to Texas and watched the team just get abysmally crushed five to nothing. Then um, came back home, which FC Cincinnati traditionally does not do well at home. Mm-hmm. But they, they, lo- they lost, but in a much more comforting manner. You saw improvement. You saw pick me up. So going into Orlando, fans were cautiously optimistic the thing about orlando is they don't lose at home they've only lost three and since 2020 they, they draw a lot but they don't lose right so that was a uh, that was a really big win there to i think i think honestly fc cincinnati's in a rebuilding stage they're in a confidence stage. they need confidence the players need to feel like they can win after three years so they kind of i think did some good so the confidence will will help them. Do you think come out flying? Do you think they'll they'll be a little more cautious? I mean, Inter Miami's also not off to a great start here in 2022. They also got uh, routed by Austin over there in Texas. So Inter Miami's right. Inter Miami's also trying to find its footing, trying to find its way. I will mention since we are previewing the game that Inter Miami might have a few players back and available. Robbie Robinson was in training this week, as was uh, Bryce Bryce Duke, and. I'm blanking on the third player. Oh, Kieran Gibbs. Kieran Gibbs is also uh, tr- back in full training this week. Not sure what exactly their statuses are for the weekend, but it looks like they're, there's a chance that they could at least dress. At least dress. Although Gibbs kind of put put a, a dark cloud or a question mark over that. But anyway, for from FC Cincinnati's standpoint, what, what sh- kind of game do you think we'll see from them? I think you'll see them try to get a little bit more aggressive in this one. They were they 
got out in front of Orlando. However, Orlando really controlled the pace of that game, mm-hmm. um, as expected, because Major League Soccer is one of the biggest uh, traditionally home. The home team normally plays aggressive. The away team normally right. um, just goes for that point. Um, and so I don't know how FC Cincinnati and, and Miami are going to face it because both of these teams have have had a rough start to Major League Soccer, really. Um, and so both of them are looking for confidence. Both of them are looking to to make their dent. But the, And they all have – we both have these pieces that we're trying to make work. Uh, so in, in a way, both teams are similar, except I think Cincinnati has had a rougher go of it. Um, we get Brenner back, we believe, and Moderita should be back in the left wing, which is really a weak spot. If, if, if they were going to drop any points against Orlando, it was going to come from Moderita's position. So it's really good that he's back defensively. I think you will get a more competent FC Cincinnati. Now, is that good or bad for you? I'm not sure. <laughs> well, so, so I think Cincinnati's going to try to come out a little bit more aggressive. I, I don't think that they'll, they'll just automatically concede possession in Inter-Miami, especially at home coming off this win. Inter-Miami's not in a good way. I don't think that they're going to let Inter-Miami dictate the tempo. So I think Cincinnati will try to come out and and, and try to, to play and keep the ball and have possession. Now, we'll see how, how it all plays out on Saturday, depending on who starts. You touched on Brenner and Matarita. Who are some of the players that Inter-Miami fans should be aware of? Who are some of the danger men for FC Cincinnati or some of the key men for FC Cincinnati in this one? So Vasquez has been the guy up top. He started to perform a little bit better at the end of last year. And then this year he's picked right back up. And I think that's what Cincinnati fans were hoping they would get out of him earlier, but it's now started to grow some fruit. Um, the question is, will he start with Brenner um, and let Vasquez still be that guy way, way up top and Brenner be the second forward um, that's kicking them in or shooting from a little bit deeper out and then, or will they stick with the Vasquez Baji combo that you saw in Orlando? And Baji did really well getting assists into Vasquez, and then Brenner be the punch in off the bench around the 60 65 minute mark. So I think you have options there on offense. FC Cincinnati has a lot more offensive options than they do defensive options. Right. Um, so that's what I would watch out for, that combo, what they go with. And it doesn't matter which one they go with because you're going to see the other one in the second half. Right. So just be prepared to see kind of both of those elements, I think. And then defensively, the key is going to be Moderita and Alvis Powell um, on the wings. That's that's the weak spot. Jeff Cameron does a decent job there in the center. Um, but will... Miami expose the wings, be able to cut in, get those balls in. Um, Orlando had a good chance. They had many chances to, to either draw or beat FC Cincinnati. And, and the keeper, um, Alec Kahn, did a really good job. And that's former Inter-Miami defender Alvis Powell that you're talking about there, who <laughs> some Inter-Miami fans will remember from the expansion season. Didn't get a whole lot of playing time, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, he did start in the first ever game of, of the club's existence. Now, before I ask you for the key to the game from an FC Cincinnati standpoint, obviously there's a, there's a new head coach in town in Pat Noonan. It's very early, small sample size, can't really, you know, do a whole expose on what he's brought, but from these first three games, what have you seen from Pat Noonan? 
uh, just in general in terms of his, his coaching style, his man management, what have you seen from him at FC Cincinnati in 2022 so far? Two immediate impacts that he's made that we've never done. Um, he is focusing on the entire system. So he's already putting his Philadelphia Union fingerprints um, on the club. He, you'll notice a transition. He's already playing some youth. He's he's evaluating. He's looking ahead more than just one year, which is neat. Um or just trying to emergency fill in gaps like we have been. So we kind of see a more long-term goal here, as long as his style of play, he's not afraid to change things mid game. He did it versus Orlando. He immediately switched out. Once he figured out that the uh, left back position was being exposed, he, he flipped out of it and, and added more help back there at halftime. So I think that's new for us. Uh, our previous coach, <laughs> you you played what he started the game with <laughs> so so uh, that's that's the two big um immediate impacts okay then the final question for you is what is the key to the game for for fc cincinnati to come away with i imagine three points that they're looking for uh at home especially try, try to build off of this big win against uh, orlando yeah, fc cincinnati needs to um, gain points in this window. They they don't they play Miami, they play Montreal, and they play um, uh, shoot I can't remember, whoever else is for it, it basically goes 14, 13, 12. So they play the three teams that are currently at the bottom. And the only reason FC Cincinnati is not at the bottom Charlotte. is because of that win. Charlotte, that's right. So they go they go one two three right there. So if the team wants to make any type of move out of the wooden spoon race, this is the three game combo they need to strike. Um, so if I'm Pat Noonan, I'm rallying the guys saying, Hey, if you don't want to spend the beginning of the season at the bottom, this is your chance because you beating Miami, Charlotte and Montreal because Montreal is in CONCACAF. So they're not hundred percent in the game yet. Right. Right. And, um, if you, you knock out those three teams. You have now put a decent amount of separation between you and the, the, you know, three, four or five guys at the bottom. And so, if they don't, then we're just going to trade positions with you right at that, right at that point in the table. Um, so going into your actual question, the key <laughs> of the match, I think I think the key of the match for FC Cincinnati is going to be doing to do something to start a new tradition that they have not been good at, and that is making an impact at home. They have got to turn TQL into a fortress. Use all that fan. You see, the thing is, Cincinnati's lost for three years, but the fans have stuck with them. And you'll still see a pretty full crowd um, on Saturday, even at 1 o'clock. So use the energy. Use the stadium. Start Make 2022 a, a big piece of the season where you turn that place into a fortress. And I think you're going to need to see the defense. That's my key to the match. If, if the defense could hold off Miami, because Miami may not have a great record, but you guys have went out and spent some money on, uh, up there at the top, so... I think that's where. Uh, so, so you think the defending will be the key? It, yeah, it's going to be that back line. Those, those. It's probably going to be four, four, four players. Keep four players back there and uh, hold, hold in Miami off while also um, keeping possession and keeping something going forward. But we cannot, we cannot let you guys get in behind because we turn the ball over, and and if we have too many people forward, that's that, that's going to kill us. Okay, well, that's an interesting, interesting perspective there from Boston, and we appreciate your time. Where can people find your work? Where can people listen to you if they are interested in getting some more FC Cincinnati coverage? 
Shoot. Uh, CincinnatiSoccerTalk.com is our best. That's the website. That's where we put out articles all week long. We have three podcasts as well that currently air um, our main show, which you can find on Cincinnati Soccer Talk, uh, really on any podcasting app you can find. And then we have a, a side show um, called Talking Tactics with Coach Coach Goff, and that is a that's for like the soccer nerds, you know, the, <laughs> if you care what formation FC Cincinnati was in and why they made this change or why this player played this way, that's where you go. Our main show is more for the average fan. It's a shame that neither of my uh, co-hosts are here for this because they're both nerding out on football manager extremely. <laughs> so they're all up in there, all up in the tactical talk, which I, I really enjoy myself, but I just haven't haven't. D- dived into uh, to football manager but anyway boston thank you so much for joining us on this podcast we will see how the game plays out on saturday i'm kind of curious if you'll give us a miami total football radio attempt i don't know are you brave are you feeling are you feeling courageous <laughs> say it one more time so miami total football radio is how it's in english but if you want to yeah. say it in spanish it would be miami total football radio but I just want you to roll your R. If you can just say radio, let's see, let's see how it goes. You, you might start the tra- you might start the tradition. Radio. <laughs> <laughs> not bad, not bad. There was an R that was rolled. All right, we like it. We like it. I can like roll it. it. <laughs> I just I don't know how to roll and hold. <laughs> Sorry, it's practice. It's practice. But hey, I enjoy it. That is Boston Brazil, and we thank him again so much for his time. We're going to take a quick break. We'll get to the Q and A session. We'll do that after this. Okay, guys, it's Q&A time. We will dive into it right away. Let's start with Fighting Herons. And he will, or his question will touch on the topic that we spent a lot of time on in that first segment. But I think it's, it's worth touching on and noting again. He says, Iguain is fourth in MLS with 10 key passes. Got the assist on the lone goal and should have at least two more assists from the first game. But Phil and the fan base have turned against him. How would you rate Iguain's play so far this year? I have a feeling this is going to be a, a longer answer. Jose. Well, those are great numbers, great stats for Iguain FC. Iguain Football Club should be that. <laughs> but unfortunately, he's playing for Inter Miami CF. And he's the DP. And we're going to judge him not only by because of his personal stats, individual stats, but we're going to judge him on how the team as a whole is doing. So, yeah, no, he needs to do better. I would say it's been decent. Decent start for these first two games. The last two games haven't been good, but the team hasn't been good in terms of creating attacking sequences, and that's not just on him. He shoulders a lot of the responsibility, but it's not just on him. And in the first game... When the team was able to to better string together passes, he was he was in the thick of it, creating and like like fighting Herons mentions, probably could have had a few more assists in addition to the one that he got in week two against Austin FC. And then we're not you know then his numbers look look a little bit better and Inter Miami looks a little bit better. But it's not Iguain's fault you know to to be fair that Gregory can't 
connect a pass against LAFC. It's not his fault that Brett Shea can't connect a pass against LAFC and then gets gets red carded and makes a mistake at the back. That those are not Gonzalo Higuain's fault. So I would say it's been decent with lots of room for growth. Next question comes from Lucho Lalo, 1896, who I actually had the pleasure of meeting before the season opener back in week one. It's good to see you, man. Good to finally put a face to the name because you're obviously your uh, profile picture on Twitter is uh, is Will Smith in an Inter Miami jersey. But he says, guys, Marcelo Bielsa is on the market. Can we get rid of Neville already? Can Iguain retire in the summer and bring Messi in already? Man, this has been a rough start to Inter Miami life. They are giving me Miami Dolphin vibes already. Can't wait for. Can't wait until U.S. Open Cup though. There's a second tweet. Will Jose be rocking his Miami FC jersey that match and be on the other side? LOL. Jose, defend yourself. No, no, I will not be wearing any team's uniform. <laughs> not uh, Miami FC, not Inter Miami, not Miami United. If you see me going to the movies, then maybe. Yeah, probably there. Uh, I'll be wearing some jerseys, but no, not at all. <laughs> I just I just pictured you with like a, a bucket of popcorn and a big like Coca Cola and your uh, your Miami FC jersey as you're going to go watch uh, the Batman or something. I did, but I, yeah, I did this week. But nevertheless, <laughs> don't, don't talk, don't ask me about it because I just went because of my uh, home obligations with my wife. But yeah, uh, back to Inter Miami. I. What was the question again? I think I forgot the question. <laughs> he said, are you going to be wearing your Miami FC jersey to the match? But before that, he was saying, you know, Marcelo Bielsa's on the market. Um, uh, can they get rid of, of, of Neville? Um, and as well as Iguain, can he retire in the summer so they can bring Messi? I don't think there's a, a chance right now that, you know, Marcelo Bielsa comes to to Inter, Inter Miami. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's, you have the freedom to dream about it, but no. <laughs> Do you work for the team now? Like, what? You're just dropping in random slogans from the team here? What the, what's going on, Jose? Uh, well, look, I, don't see, I don't see it. Look, I, I will say I'm a big Marcelo Bielsa guy. I like, I like what he's done with a lot of the teams he's taken over. Obviously, you know, things tend to flame out eventually. Uh, maybe because of the, the level of exigencia, as we say in Spanish, the level, the, you know, the demand level that he puts on, on the team and the players. And over you know prolonged periods that that can be uh, that can wear you down. So you know it, it tends not to go well for him in the end in a lot of places. But he does help revamp things in a in a major major way. Obviously, I don't think they're getting rid of Phil Neville. I think Phil Neville's here for for the foreseeable future. But I mean Marcelo Bielsa, if Inter Miami were able to make that happen, I think that would be a, a an incredible hire from a a soccer standpoint, football standpoint, as well as from like a media standpoint, you know, how much attention, how much eyes would be, how many eyes, excuse me, would be on Inter Miami if they got a coach like Marcelo Bielsa. It, it would definitely, definitely make the team even more newsworthy than it is. We were going to stick with the Jose defending himself topic because <laughs> Don Cafecito asks... For Miami FC superfan Jose Armando 21, how many more seasons do you see this team playing? Do you believe the club is sustainable? And by the club, he means Miami FC, of course. Oh, my, we're getting a Miami FC question. See, I like that. The, 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 the one reason why I mentioned Miami FC here is just to get out there, to get then some support, not necessarily because I'm a big fan. But now that we get the question, I think that the 
I, I mean, we're having success here. I like it. <laughs> um, well, I think they're going to be here for the long run. Now that they are in USL Championship, you know, a, a very well-established league, I think, you know, that they, they will be here. They have a very good owner in Ricardo Silva. So um, I think they will be making some noise very soon. So, yeah. I think that's that's a team for the long run, and I think that's a good thing for for the for the entire South Florida landscape. It's it's good to have a good ownership, a good team, solid team that's here to stay. And if they were able to survive through NASL, NPSL, NISA, and um, well, let me see, is there the, one the more? The pandemic, week? the pandemic, they survived the through the pandemic. pandemic. Yes. So yeah, I mean, I think they're here for the long run. So good news. I hope Don Cafecito. He's happy with that, and please don't call me a Miami FC fan anymore. Thank you. <laughs> no, call him that more. It's 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 great. It's great. You guys had me rolling <laughs> on Twitter when I saw when I saw the question. Look, I, I I will add this because it might seem kind of obvious or or like duh for some people that hear this, but maybe a lot of you haven't even put thought into it. But this is information. Miami FC as an organization is really, really, really hoping. They get the opportunity to play Inter-Miami in the U.S. Open Cup. Because that would obviously be a great game for them. A lot of eyeballs would be on them. It'd be a, a, a huge, significant matchup for in terms of a football uh, aspect for, for the market. So they obviously have to take care of business first in, the, in, in their opening game to get to playing Inter-Miami. But they definitely, definitely want that to happen. They, they are very eager for it to happen for a lot of reasons both sporting and obviously as well as the publicity that they would get from playing Inter-Miami. So we'll see how the Open Cup plays out. I know Jose is a big, 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 big advocate of the U.S. Open Cup. All right, two more, two more. This one we can't even answer, but I will read it out loud. It comes from Elder Bar. He says, this is for Phil's lawyer which is Steve Brenner, guys, if, if you haven't picked up on that. <laughs> this is for Phil's lawyer. Yes or no? Miami beat Cincinnati. For everyone, first official three games this season were better or worse than the first official three of the first season. Last official win was versus New England Revolution. What did the team stop doing compared to that game? So obviously, Phil's lawyer is not in the building, so he can't answer that question. I'm just kidding, Steve. Love to you in Barbados. I hope you're having a great time. But the, the other questions we can't answer. So are these three games, Jose? Worse than or better than the first three of the 2020 season with Diego Alonso? Uh, they're they're worse. Compare. They're worse. They're worse. Hey, but it's hard to compare because. No, he's... they're worse, brother. They're worse. Absolutely. Look, I guess they played LAFC as an expansion team and were competitive. The second we game. Talking... But are we talking MLS is back or are we talking regular season? It just says first official three games. And for me, that's. LAFC, DC United, and the first game of MLS back, which was against Orlando. And in those games, Inter-Miami scored goals. They they were competitive. They had a lead in one if, against Orlando. Yeah, they had a lead against Orlando, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so those three games were, were better for me than, than these three. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. But if, you know, it's that's why it's hard, it's hard to judge because you had the MLS's back tournament before that. So I think you had... Uh, the the team had more time, didn't they? Yes. No, no. hold on, Jose. You're no wait. I think you're 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 getting your games confused. LAFC and DC United. Those two games in 2020 came before the pandemic, and they lost. Inter Miami lost both of those games. Oh right. Yes. 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 Well, yeah. The they pandemic. didn't score against LAFC, but they were competitive. 
And against DC United, they took a lead and were on their way to winning before Roman Torres, or Roman Torres, got the red card and then the wheels came undone in the final 20, 25 minutes or so. And they lost 2-1. to one. And then they go to, then there's a big break because of the pandemic. The MLS's back tournament happens. They, they have the opening game against Orlando City, the in-state rival. Inter-Miami took a lead in that game with Juan Agudelo scoring. But then later on, Nani pulled out some magic, and Inter-Miami lost that game. So they lost all three games. They didn't get any single points. But I think the performances were better yes. than the performances yes. here, where you've gotten a point out of three, but you yes. also got blown out 5-1 to one in, in a game. So uh, I think the first three games of 2020 were better than 2022. But that's just my opinion. Now I remember. Now I remember. Yes. Yes, I agree with you. I'm a history yeah. buff, bro. I'm a history buff. Inter-Miami history... Future history uh, book writer at some point. That I don't was, know. That was Rodolfo's Pizarro's Inter Miami. Yes, so yes. It's a shame El Primo is not here to comment, <laughs> to comment on that. Last question. Comes from Talk Inter Miami CF. If Miami loses against Cincinnati, do you think that should be enough for Neville to be sacked or do you guys think he has more time? Bonus question. Do you expect Iguain to start on Saturday? Thanks, guys. Two good questions. Two very good questions because Gonzalo Iguain did not train with the team on Tuesday. A spokesperson said Iguain was in the gym doing gym work. Now, obviously, that might raise a few eyebrows after Phil Neville's comments on the weekend and whether Iguain's in good standing. I haven't heard anything with regards to there potentially being some issue or Iguain being, you know, suspended or, or, or removed from the team and, and pushed off to the side. I haven't heard anything of that nature. I have heard and obviously have seen it throughout Iguain's time here in South Florida that because he's at an advanced age in his career at times he does not train with the team and at times especially so close to the most recent game they don't give him that heavy of a workload during the week sometimes he sits out training sessions and and focuses on just doing gym work because at this point in his career his body just based off their metrics I'm sure just can't can't take that intensity level that many times throughout the week and then still have some energy for the weekend. So uh, I, I think as of right now, I think he will play on Saturday. As for should Neville be sacked if they if they lose, um, I, I mean, I don't think that he's going to be sacked and I don't think that he will be sacked. And I don't think that he should be sacked because it's four games into the new, into the new team that they have built practically from scratch this offseason. So you'd essentially be pushing the reset button yet again if you let go of, of Phil Neville after four games, which I think is too soon going off of this season alone. Jose? Yeah, I agree 100% with you. I don't think there's there's a chance, you know, and, and, and I think we have to give this team some time. Um, and four games is not enough. And and on Gonzalo, um, yeah, I think it's 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 only normal they, that they, you know, he he might have a different schedule than the rest of the team. You know, they just try to manage him. So I would expect him to start over the weekend. Okay, then the final thoughts time. It's final thoughts time. That does it for a Q&A session for this week. I will give you my final thought first. Okay. And, and it's that a lot of former Inter-Miami players are starting to make news. They're starting to grab the spotlight for contributing some goals or some... Big plays for the respective new clubs. And it starts with Matias Pellegrini, who scored a few days ago for Estudiantes. Rodolfo Pizarro in his last two games has scored a goal and delivered an assist, a game-winning assist, for Monterrey. 
And Lewis Morgan obviously got that hat trick against the, uh, excuse me, for the New York Red Bulls uh, in week two of the MLS season. Julian Carranza also got a game-winning assist and then a red card also for the Philadelphia Union back in week two. So some former Inter Miami players are, are are starting to find their footing or are starting to, to make the type of impact that they did not make with Inter Miami. Just, that's just my final thought. Just wanted to, to pass that on because I thought it's no it was notable that in the last two weeks they've they've all kind of kind of at once made the difference or, or started to make a real impact for their respective sides. All right, so it's my turn, I guess. Yeah, unless you have anything you want to add there. No. I don't want to add anything to that. I just will let time um, let bring Rolo Pizarro back to Miami. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Maybe your football manager, but that's about it. No, my football manager is not. He's not. He's not in the plans. So right now, (laughs) Uh, I I think my team is looking really good. But uh, we'll talk more about that in the next spot. My final thought is on. I'm going to keep it local because um, I got noticed yesterday a press release that. We have a new team in South Florida. So people, please don't start calling me a Machia FC fan because that's the name of the new team. There's a new team in Miami. They will be playing um, at the NPSL level. So welcome to Machia FC. How do you like that that name? I don't like the logo at all. It seems like, you know, it's, it's more like the Juve logo with a hat on. I don't like the logo, but I like the game, so I will say welcome to South Florida, to Magia FC. That's my final thought. Okay, Jose, ever the local man. That does it for this week's show. Thank you guys so much for listening and for submitting your questions again. Please, if you haven't already, leave us a review. We're closing in on our number, and when we do, we have some cool things planned and in store for you guys. We will be back again Early, early next week because I am off to South America after this final game before the international window or the international break. So we will be recording early next week on Monday and the pod will drop early next week as well. So be on the lookout for that probably Tuesday drop or or late, late Monday night. But again, that does it for this week's show for Jose Armando. For Steven Primo Brenner, who is in Barbados, having a great old time. I am Franco Canizo. This is Miami Total Football Radio. And we'll talk to you guys again very, very soon.